Colossians 4 and verses 5 and 6 we'll look at this morning. Colossians 4. This, of course, is in the context of God giving commandments to us, the implications of the gospel. Hey, you're in Christ and all. What does that make a difference? Not just in your, your future life, not going to hell when you die or to into Hades or punishment or condemnation, but into life. But what about right now? How, does, that, does the gospel have any implication on how we live our lives now? And of course, we've seen through chapter 3 and into chapter 4 how much it changes our lives, how much it changes our even the most intimate relationships in the home between a husband and a wife and parents and children, or even in an employment situation. I know slavery is not exactly an employment situation, but we looked at that in the last several weeks as well. Seeing how does the gospel change the way that we do stuff? How does, it, how does the gospel change even earlier in, in Colossians 3? The words that come out of our mouth or the, the affections that we have. He talked about greed, which is idolatry. Well, that's not a good thing. We don't want to be idolatrous, greedy, covetous people. So the implications of the gospel are profound and long-lasting and not just future. They're right now. And he gives us this instruction here. Now we looked at beginning of verse 2, this command to pray and to uh, pray especially for the apostle Paul and his co-workers and so forth. But he's going to turn the attention not just to those professional, you know, the, the fully trained whatevers, but hey, y'all have an opportunity and a responsibility to share the truth of God's word. So pray that you do that, but then get out there and do that. Share the, the good news of the gospel. So he says here, beginning at verse 2, and again, I have not corrected the, the label, the verse label on this slide, unfortunately, Colossians 4 and verse 2, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak the mystery of Christ for which I have also been bound, that I may make it manifest in the way I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, redeeming the time, let your words always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should answer each person. We've looked at these verses earlier, two to, to four in these last several weeks, but now this verse five, it tells us that we should walk in a certain way. Now, he's not talking about, uh, you know, should we uh, hop or, or skip or jump or walk this way or or lead with our left foot, kind of like in your marching mode, or you know, march to the time, walk to the time. I'm not talking about a physical gait or anything like that. He has more of a moral implication on this. Uh, what does it look like to conduct your life? We saw this verse, or this word rather, back earlier in chapter 1, where he said, I'm praying that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Again, it's not just, wouldn't it be nice if, if there was just a, a right way for Christians to walk, uh, lead with your left foot and well, walk in unison, and maybe every other fourth step we, we give a little hop or something just to make sure that we're different from everybody else. We just, wouldn't that be easier than for him saying, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner that pleases the Lord. Conduct your life in such a way that Christ is honored in everything you think Everything you say, everything you do, everything you set your affection on, the relationships you have, the plans you have, the way you spend your time, your money, all your resources. That is the kind of walk that he's talking about. Walk in this way. He says in Colossians 2 and verse 6, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's not an optional thing, by the way. 
for those who are in Christ, uh, you, you can't say, well, I'm in Christ, but I, I think I'll, I'll let those other people walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I, that's for serious Christians. I'm just one of those, those uh, get in by the skin of your teeth thing. No, if you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, walk in his righteousness, walk according to the path and pattern that he has set before us. Walk in such a way that he looks at you and is pleased with you. Just as God the Father looked at the Lord Jesus Christ and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am, yeah, I'm I'm pretty, I am well pleased. He just meets every expectation I have. He is so submissive. He learned, of course, Christ learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And why should we think we're any different? Why should we think we're privileged? No, we walk every day in a manner that pleases the Lord. We want to, anyway. There's a difference, a distinction between walking in Christ, as we saw in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 10, and chapter 2, verse 6. But in chapter 3 and verse 7, it's not a good, not a good context of that walk. It used to be that we walked in sin. He says in Colossians 3 and verse 7, of course, the context there, he's talking about the sins that used to characterize our lives. Back in verse 5, um, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Verse 6 says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. So the point is, everybody has a manner or a a pattern of life, a conduct, something that characterizes their life. It used to be outside of Christ, all the outsiders, and we'll see this word repeated in our context here, were enslaved to those things. That was just part and parcel of our life. We walked in them when we were living in them. But now we lay those things all aside. That's wicked. That's filth. We don't want to continue in these things. We want to walk differently. Again, God makes a moral requirement upon us. Unless we say, well, I thought salvation was not by works. It was by what Christ did. And my faith, I didn't repent of my sin and turn to Christ. That's it, right? So what is it, what's the big deal about how I live my life? And, and can I just, you know, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. No, you're not free to do whatever, whatever you want to do. You are a slave of Christ. And we looked at that in the context of slavery and mastery and all that. But especially having been reconciled to God, Romans 6 would teach us, how can you who were brought near or made alive in Christ turn away or turn aside to those things of which you're now ashamed? How, how could you go on presenting your members as servants or slaves of unrighteousness when you have been freed to serve Christ with a clear conscience, with a, a reconciled state of forgiveness before Christ? And how even it says that we have this victory over temptation where we don't have to sin anymore. We're not slaves of sin anymore. We can live differently. And for us to say, well, that's that's real nice, but I I think I like my sin. Then you don't love Christ. You love your sin more than you love Christ. That's not indicative. That does not prove that you are in Christ. We are justified by his work, but then we fulfill our appointed works, Ephesians 2 8, 9, and 10 would teach us that we're not saved by works, but we are saved unto good works. Um, Ephesians 2, 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he prepared before, and that we should walk in them. So it's not a matter of you do whatever you want to do. I've, I'm free before the Lord. No. In fact, as I mentioned before, part of the, the idea behind our name, Liberty Bible Church, is that we are liberated, yes, but we are free now to... Through love, we serve one another. Don't use your freedom 
as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So we have this responsibility and opportunity and great privilege to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord, to walk here, he's going to define, in wisdom toward outsiders, redeeming the time. He gives us three ideas. What does it look like? What kind of, what's he talking about here now, walking? Paul had just said in, in verse 4 that he wants to, at verses 3 and 4, he talks about the mystery of Christ, speaking the mystery of Christ, evangelizing, essentially is what he's saying in verse 4, that I may make it clear or manifest in the way I ought to speak. He has an outward-looking focus in these verses anyway, this context. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Have this perspective that you're not just living for yourself, and you're not just living for the church, you're living in the sight of all people, and you need to walk circumspectly or very carefully. If you named Christ, then you need to be careful to honor Christ. Remember somebody uh, uh, years ago, he gave us a vehicle to use, and we ended up giving it to somebody else. But he says, be careful, there's a fish on the back. A fish on the back, and I looked. It wasn't a dead fish. He wasn't. A, he was a prankster, but he didn't. It was one of those Jesus fish, right? And he says, "You're tagged. People know that that's a Christian vehicle. I don't think that's a Christian vehicle. Christian driver of the vehicle, right? So be careful how you drive. Just be very careful. You walk in a way that is wise and appropriate. Walk in a manner that is prudent. That is, I mean, really cut to the chase. You know what God wants you to do, and you do it." That's wisdom. You fear the Lord. You respect what he has to say. You appreciate his interpretation, his requirements of life. You delight in his law. You find it your life to to look into his word. And therefore, that changes the way that you walk. You walk in wisdom. You walk with insight. You walk with understanding. You walk with conviction even. You walk with a recognition that you're different to the world. You are set apart just like Israel was supposed to be in the Old Testament, different in, in who they worshipped, how they worshipped, what kind of food they ate, how they dressed, how they conducted their weekly schedule, all manner of things. They were required to be different and distinct, set apart from, from the world in those different ways. Walk in wisdom. Walk in a way that fulfills what God wants you to do. Wisdom has been a, a key part of Paul's letter in to the Colossian church there. And we recognize that the historical situation was that some of the false teachers that were afflicting, affecting the church in Colossae offered a wisdom, and it looked good, looked so impressive, looked real, oh, that's some special, special knowledge you have there, which is exactly what they wanted you to understand. Yeah, we have special stuff. We have this... Uh, uh, this super mystery and so forth. And if you give us certain money, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let you know parts of it. Not the whole thing, because you, you lower people, you can't appreciate all this, that we enlightened people. I mean, just a bunch of foolishness. But wisdom was a big thing in that Colossian church, and it's a big thing that Paul addresses in, throughout his letter. Verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, I pray that you may be filled with all, uh, filled with the full knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It is possible, not just not through the false teachers, those who have the special uh, esoteric knowledge. No, you can be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding through Christ, through the mystery of Christ, because this mystery thing was a big part of that Colossian church as well. Uh, the false teaching, rather, of the, of, the, uh, of the Colossian church. Verse 28 of chapter 1, he says, Paul says, We admonish and teach every person, each individual person, with all wisdom, with all 
um, the nuance with all the the special um, special and since it's in the scriptures, it's different to the world, but all the wisdom that we can to bring people before the ordinances, before the judgments, before the promises of the scripture. We teach every person with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. <coughs> he says in verse 3 of chapter 2, in Christ. Not, we don't need to look elsewhere. We need to comb all the books in this other library or, or get some special knowledge from the angels or, or the different, these other false teachers who are here. Or maybe I've heard, you know, what's going on in Laodicea, right? Because Colossae and Laodicea were we're pretty we're close uh, neighboring cities. You don't need to go out and, and find new special knowledge, special, special special wisdom, extraordinary stuff. You look to Christ. Christ is the treasury. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to know wisdom? You want to know what God wants you to do? Look to Christ. Look to him. Find him as your instructor. Find him as the fulfillment of all scripture uh, that uh, teaches us what does God require of us. And we see that in the life of Christ. Verse 16 of chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So again, it takes wisdom for us to know how to speak to one another. These, these verses, well, this verse 16 in chapter 3, talks about our relationship and requirement to teach and admonish within the church. Paul's going to shift the perspective now. You're supposed to do that in wisdom in the church, but to tell you what, do it to people outside the church as well. Walk in wisdom and not just walk, but also talk wisely and bring people to the truths of God's word. He says, let your daily practice, he says this differently in Ephesians 4 and verse 1, but he says, let your, your daily practice match with your eternal position in Christ. If you are truly saved, makes a whole difference, a whole lot of difference in the way that you live your life. This as a command, a call really to avoid and, and shun hypocrisy or inconsistency where our behavior, or, or we claim certain things, but then our behavior, it, it testifies a whole different story. Uh, I think it's Jude who says, by their deeds they deny him, the master and savior. They live so differently from what the, the requirements, the expectations of God's word is. We don't want that. We want to walk in a manner that is wise, that is appropriate, that we would not contradict the message of Christ by our own foolish and even sinful behavior. We want to hold fast the head, as he said earlier in chapter 2. Holding fast the head from everything. Everything is filled by, by Christ himself. It's not to say we should get into legalism and we're going to require certain things. Uh, again, going back to that walking thing. We're going to require everybody to skip, hop, and jump as you enter that door. Thank you. Don't walk on the threshold. Don't walk on, and don't walk on the cracks because what's the old nurse, not the kids' elementary school, breaking your mother's back or something. It's nothing like that. Walk, conduct your life, the way that you speak, the way that you interact with people, the way that you uh, bless and, and use your words to build up other people. That's what we, not make as a, as a law or a legalistic thing, but because we love Christ, because we have been forgiven so much, so much, that we can now forgive other people, that we can love other people, that we can be kind and gracious. As he said back in chapter 3, uh, verse 12, he says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with mother, graciously forgiving each other. That's what he requires of us now. And we think, serious? That's why Jesus says, consider the cost. You, 
in Christ, you are obligated now to be kind to other people. You can't just say, well, I'm in Christ, but I, I hate people. I can't stand them. I, you know, and they wrong, that person wronged me 26 and a half years ago, and I just can never forgive. Romans 8, or excuse me, Matthew 18, 35 says, if we don't forgive, then we haven't been forgiven. If we won't, if we won't forgive, then we're not going to be forgiven. Forgiven people forgive. It's a big, big part of life, walking in life, not being angry about things all the time, living humbly before God, walking in wisdom. He says here that we should walk in wisdom. That's our manner. Our, our mode of life is wisely. But he gives the context here toward outsiders. So certainly we need to walk in wisdom with insider people, but it's kind of like walking in the same direction. We're, we're swimming and we're, we're heading in the same direction. But when you're out in the world, those outside the church, outside of Christ, we have a, a special mandate, a special requirement to live righteously, to live godly. As it said, and this is you know somewhat um, simple saying, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read, which is, is true, and, and there are, there's a lot of truth to that, but they do need to read the scriptures. Not, they don't get the gospel just by looking at your different life, your changed life, the way that you interact, the hope that is within you, right? First Peter 3.15, you need to be able to give a defense for those who ask you concerning the hope that's in you. Hey, you're a different person now. I mean, last I saw you 10, 15, 20 years ago, you were this way and that way, and, and now you're different. What's, what's the deal? And you say, yeah, I walk differently. Yeah. Why? It's because of what Christ has done. What Christ has done in my life. What I'm trying to, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for Christ. I'm trying to please him. I'm trying to grow in my wisdom and my obedience even to the gospel. This idea of being outside the church is not a derogatory term, but it is a real term. For those who are not in, in Christ, there's a difference, a whole different mindset. Uh, you remember what it said back in, in Colossians 3, that we used to live, we used to walk in these things. Verse 7, in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But he says that's the sons of disobedience. So those, those are the ones who will inherit or, or receive the condemnation of God. They are outside of Christ. They're outside of the redemption, the righteousness that people can find in Christ. And our perspective, our our interaction with them is not in a condemning way. It's not in a, um, uh, a scolding kind of a way. It's I was in the same situation, but God saved me. Uh, there's, there's forgiveness. There's life. I know you're trying to fill your life with these things. I tried it too, different ways, different ways to, to try to live apart from God. Let me tell you, this is life. This is life. This is hope. This is joy. This is peace. This is purpose. This is meaning in life. You're trying to find it, trying to fill your bucket in different ways. Look to Christ. Those who are outside the church, and it's not outside, like non you know, people outside of Liberty Bible Church, no, outside of Christ. Those who are not brought near through the blood of, of Christ are those who need our special attention, those who need to turn from their sins and call upon the name of the Lord. It's amazing that we have this responsibility. Wouldn't it be easier maybe if God just sent a bunch of angels? Because certainly people would listen to angels. Not always. And some people listen to angels, but they're not they are not from God. They are false uh, prophets. They're false uh, demons that, that bring down demonic teaching. God has entrusted the gospel preaching work to individuals that have trusted the gospel. Kind of a simple way. You believe the gospel, then share the gospel. Share the truths of God's word, especially toward those who are outside Christ. They need the gospel, but so do people in the church. We need to remind ourselves Christ died for sinners. Not those sinners, me. 
He died for me. And so I can be justified uh, by, by faith in him. He says that we should walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Then he says, what's the reason? What's the goal? What's the purpose here? That we should redeem the time. Redeem the time. That we should be so active in uh, buying back. So this is, this is the root idea of this word. It's used a couple different times in this regard of redeeming, redeeming uh, from uh, uh, a false use or, a, well, especially in, in Galatians, it's used twice in Galatians, in this, in this sense that Christ redeemed us or bought us back or, or allowed us to escape the curse of the law. He bought us. He paid a price. This is not something that had like that and you, you take it for free, you steal it. No, he paid the price. He did the transaction legally, lawfully, and fully compliant with God's holiness. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We're no longer subject to that. We have been brought out of that, out of the out of that marketplace of of uh, judgment and condemnation. We are are brought near to Christ. That's Galatians three and verse thirteen. Galatians four and verse five says that again that He might redeem those who are under the law. This is the idea of buying back for oneself. That the context here in in uh, Colossians four and verse five is not so much that we're paying a price, you know, you know, putting down coins or, or money or whatever to, to buy something back or to redeem it for ourselves. We are redeeming or buying back that time, it says here, that opportunity, that moment in, in our experience for God. We are, are active in being ambassadors. Second Corinthians 5 says we are ambassadors for God, as if he's making his appeal through us. We are the ones who are not making the redemption. We're announcing the redemption. And we are saying there's redemption available through Christ. And even how we take each individual opportunity and each individual person uh, as the Lord provides the opportunity, which is why Paul said, pray that God would open doors and that I would clearly speak what I'm supposed to speak. What about you? Redeem the time. Make use of each opportunity. This is even a, an idiom, to redeem the time. It's mentioned really throughout Scripture. We can see uh, the example of, of this uh, time um, context. Uh, so much about uh, an opportune time. Remember when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness in Luke 4, Matthew 4? Satan left him until an opportune time. Opportune time is just this one word, just saying it's not a, a, a chronological time. It's looking for just that exact moment when, hmm, Jesus is at his weakest. Jesus is troubled over certain things. He's doubting, perhaps, and, and Satan would come in and just want to destroy it. What was that next opportune time? Well, throughout Jesus' ministry, I think it was, but specifically in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying, Lord, Father, if there's any other way for this to happen, uh, let's do that. Nevertheless, I mean, that's, that's leading into Satan's mode. That's why, remember when in Matthew 16, when Jesus is asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then almost the next statement, Jesus says, I'm going to die, suffer, suffer and die, and be, in three days be raised up. And Peter comes up and says, no, by no means, Lord. Don't do that. That's not part of God's plan. And Jesus says to him, you're very kind, Peter. You're so thoughtful. I appreciate. No, get behind me, Satan. You are setting your interests, you're setting your mind on men's interests, not on God's. What's that about? How For Peter to go from one who is blessed of God, you know, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because God has revealed this to you, to get behind me, Satan, is because Satan was using or manipulating, working through Peter to, to say, Jesus, there is another way. 
You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to die for these sinners. What, what good are sinners anyway? You can have the kingdom. You can have the rule and authority. You can just bow down and serve me. It goes back to Luke 4, Matthew 4. Uh, Satan is there trying to bring this, this uh, thing apart from God's will and God's prerogative. Satan was looking for opportune times. We look for opportune times, not to destroy and not to, to uh, tempt people away from God's will, but the exact opposite. Using opportune moments, periods of time, we're with this person. How can we use this for God's glory? How can we walk wisely? How can we speak wisely with them? He says there are many ways that, that it talks about this time. It's not just, you know, what time of the day? Okay, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. Let me find somebody I can evangelize. No, just any time. What time? When we have that opportunity, how are we going to use it? How are we going to be faithful in these moments that God has given to us? We take full advantage of that opportunity. We do something even, as it said, with, with an intensity or a, a zeal or even a sense of urgency. There, there's an old missionary, I think he was born in 1860, died in the early 1900s, named uh, C.T. Studd, worked with Hudson Taylor, and he is known for many poems. One of the poems you've heard, you've heard the refrain anyway, um, only when life soon will be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. That's C.T. Studd who, who said that. He's also the guy who said uh, many, and I, I can't quote exactly, but it, the essence of it is many would like to uh, serve Christ in a convenient location, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's C.T. Studd. He says, I want to use any moment I have to rescue people. That's the mission that I have as, as a missionary, especially he, was, he died in, uh, in what's now the Congo in West Africa. But he was so given to the gospel. And you think, well, that's a professional missionary type. Those are the special. Uh, he's just an ordinary missionary, ordinary guy, Christian guy, sharing the gospel, sharing the truth of God's word, redeeming the time as God provided to him. Well, what does it look like to redeem the time? What does it look like to walk wisely? Verse 6 says, it's not enough just to conduct your life differently and then hope people will get the clue. There's something different about that person. I wish I knew what it was and just leave it like that. It's not enough just to whet the appetite. It's not enough just to present a picture. We've got to speak. He says, let your words, let your words Walk in such a way, but you've got to speak as well. Let your words always be with grace, seasoned with salt. So we speak. And he says, let your, your word, your speech always be with grace. So it's not just, you know, I'm a Christian on Sundays and Wednesdays. And the other times I just live however I want. That's not what he says. Let your words always Always be characterized by your affection, your affinity, your association with God. Always use your words, here he says, with grace. Always speak the truth of God's kindness, his benevolence, his, his beneficence. He does good stuff. Uh, not just he wills good stuff, benevolence, but he does good stuff. He makes it happen, good things that happen. And so make sure that we are, are speaking that, that, even like it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 29, uh, don't let any unwholesome speech. So uh, he says, let your words always be with grace. But Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says, let no unwholesome speech or words proceed from your mouth only, but only such a word as is good for building up what is needed so that it will give grace to those who hear. Man, wouldn't it be nice if he just said, you know, let only a few unwholesome words, you know, and every now and again, you can use words to tear down instead of building up. And, and you know, giving grace to other people, it's a nice thing. But sometimes you just need to let your let people know what's on your mind. No, you don't. 
you set up a guard in front of your mouth. Uh, James 3 talks a lot about that. We are, you be careful how you speak, how, how you conduct your life. And even the, the proverb that says, if, if you are, have an issue with, with unwholesome speech, as it says here in verse 29 of Ephesians 4, or ungracious speech here, you just shut your mouth. Uh, the proverb says, in a multitude of words, sin is unavoidable. But he who keeps his lips is wise. She who keeps his lips is wise. Young boys, young girls, old, older men, older women, whoever keeps his lips is wise. Sometimes just don't say anything and work on what's going on in your heart. Why do you have this, this animosity? Why do you have this, this sudden passion to, to, uh, to speak ungracious or unwholesome words? He says, let your words always be with grace. Always be intended to build up other people. Always intended to accomplish the good purposes that God has to tell of his grace, to, to sing of his grace, to tell of the wonderful deeds that God is doing and has done among the people. Be careful that we would speak graciously, that we would not, as we saw back in verse 8 and 9, uh, Colossians 3, verses 8 and 9, that we would not have uh, wrath and anger and malice, slander and abuse of speech from your mouth, and don't lie to one another. That's not good, since you laid off the old man with his evil practices. Speak the truth. Speak the truth uh, into the moment. Again, it's it's using the opportune time, right? Uh, the proverb that says, I have it written down here somewhere, the proverb that says, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word fitly spoken, spoken in the right circumstance, spoken with the right uh, intent or, or hope anyway, that these words would be gracious, life-giving, not condemning. Now, certainly God did, Christ did use condemn, condemning speech on occasions. You know, woe to you, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, and, all, and woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. There's a time for that pronounce, pronouncement of, of condemnation of God. And that, that's even grace, because God's grace says you're going in the wrong direction. Come, turn back, and come back to Christ, or come to Christ, come, come find life in him. Grace does not just mean always sweet and, and just always... Um, just trying to make peace with everybody. Sometimes we do need to make some enemies, but it's based on the truth, not based on how we live. Remember, we walk in wisdom toward outsiders, redeem the time, but we let our words always be with grace, always be intending to, to restore or reconcile people to God. If we need to pronounce judgment upon people, then we even read it in, in Zechariah 3. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. We're going to let God rebuke. We're going to teach the gospel. We're going to teach the, the commandments, the requirements of God's uh, 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 word. And yet, sometimes that's going to make enemies. Sometimes that's going to, in good grief, Paul is in prison, right? He's in prison, has been for three or four years at this time because of the gospel he's presenting and how that even condemned those of the Jewish people specifically who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And that just made people mad. And that just made people upset with Paul and said, you know, away from such a guy, he's not worthy to live. He's just preaching the gospel, just fulfilling the word, but that makes enemies. As far as it depends upon us, though, we should live at peace with all people. If the cross, if the message of the cross is going to offend people, then it's going to offend. But as for me, I'm going to let my words always be gracious speech, always be, it says, it says here, seasoned with salt. Have you ever been a... a recipient of that nasty, nasty joke of somebody who kind of unscrews the salt shaker and offers it to you and you pour the whole thing on your wonderful hamburger or steak or fries and it just ruins the whole thing. A little bit of salt, oh, a lot of salt, ugh, right? I mean, horrible stuff. He says, let your speech 
be seasoned with salt, not overpowering with salt, not not uh, you know like a, a bulldog or something that uses your. You are seasoning your speech. You are speaking wisely. You are speaking even to the need of the moment. You're speaking with the intention of building up, Ephesians 4.29. You're speaking in such a way that is not overpowering. It is not uh, used as a club for people. I mean, sometimes we speak urgently. We speak passionately about these things, but always in a sense of kindness, out of love, out of, out of hope that that person would believe the gospel would turn and find their life in Christ himself. There are many purposes and uses of salt in the scripture and outside of scripture. Obviously, flavoring food is one thing, but again, not overpowering the food. You don't want too much salt in the things. Be careful how you do it. Salt can also be used as a therapeutic or a healing or a a medical kind of a situation. It also can be used to neutralize bitter tastes. There's a story in the Old Testament, Elisha had it, 2 Kings chapter 2, I think it is, where there was some bitter water, and Elisha said, hey, get some get some sand, salt, rather, and put it in a pot, and threw it into the spring of water. The water was bitter, but now, because of that, it became sweet. It became fresh. It became drinkable, uh, potable water through that salt. Now, there were some miraculous things as well, but, but salt also has a, a neutralization, neutralizing effect upon bitterness. Uh, salt can be used in killing plants and weeds even, which is kind of an interesting. It was used as a judgment back in the Old Testament. You ever hear about those armies that would sow the land with salt? Why are you doing that again? You're going to eat the dirt? No, it's because salt kills plants, it, they, that does not, especially in that large quantity. And so even you know, using a figurative extension of that, we use our speech salted here for the intention of killing those ideas, those weeds, those things that infiltrate our minds. That's not right thinking. That's not what God said. That's not how you understand the word. We have divine strength and weapons not to beat each other over the head with the scriptures, but to use God's word as a device to challenge worldviews, to challenge thinking, to challenge understandings and interpretations of life. We use it to kill those weeds that have come into the garden of that person's thoughts. That's not what God said. That's not what the scripture teaches. That's not, we go to that point and we speak seasoned with salt. We speak in such a way that, that we are killing those, those false ideas. Salt can be used as a cleanser, a sanitizer, a purifier, and it is uh, also a preservative. It prevents corruption. That idea of unwholesome words is the idea of, of uh, rotten or bad fruit. I often refer to it as water, rotten watermelon speech that you can uh, preserve somehow through, through salt. It's interesting. Parenthesis. Read a book many years ago on salt throughout the history. Fascinating book. And that's the title, Salt, and how uh, things change with the advancement of refrigeration back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and how that has changed everything about shipping, about food, food storage, preservation, uh, market, you know, how, how things are bought and sold. Changed everything about how we do that. You can read that book. It's not written by a Christian, but it's fascinating, uh, fascinating history. He says, let your speech be with salt so that, there's a purpose. What, what's this about? So that you will know how you should answer each person. Let your words be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you, and always, of course, in that way, so you'll know. So you will have an understanding. You, you'll have a clue. How should you relate to this person? Okay, I'm talking to this person. That's not this person. This person has this issue going on over here. Here's a different person. And I've got to speak the same message, but 
tailor it and tune it to the specific needs of this person, where I am uh, wisely approaching uh, the different needs, the different backgrounds, the different perspectives. Uh, The way, for example, that Paul would speak to a Jewish person, unbeliever, as opposed to a Gentile. I mean, just a pagan, you know, one of those Scythian kind of go folks that we mentioned back in, in chapter three, just totally clueless of anything about God. How do you how do you bring the same message? Because it's not a different message to that person over here. It's a different means, a different uh, maybe uh, uh, approach that we have toward bringing the gospel. And yet uh, it's the same message. We've got to make sure we preach the gospel. He says, so you will know you have an understanding of a clue. You'll have a good way to do it in a certain pattern, a certain life, a certain pattern of life that we should walk uh, in in a way that, that honors what God wants us to do in a way that brings fruit that God brings fruit, right? We do. We obey. We're faithful to God. We pray that he would give fruit to our labor. But we've got to know. We've got to study. We've got to, we've got to be careful about these things. And again, it's, this is not a burdensome thing. Oh, I've got to get got equipped. I'm going to do evangelism studies. And it's just, if you're excited about Jesus, tell other people. If you're excited about what God has done in your life, excited about the truth of God, if you love what God has done for you in Christ, you tell other people. Don't Aren't we evangelists in a lot of different respects? It could be, hey, if you've been to this new restaurant, it's over it, you can go with it. So get, make sure you get this thing. I mean, we are very adamant in our recommendation of certain things like that. Or, hey, look at that sunset out there. Don't look now because it's not sunset. Anyway, we, we encourage people to act on things that are meaningful or important to us. Is Christ important to us? then we ought to share him. We ought to pronounce him. We ought to live. We should give an answer. And this, this word, how he says you should answer each person. This answer is a little bit different as it says in uh, 1 Peter 3.15, how you should uh, give an answer to anybody who asks you concerning the hope that lies within you. That's a little different. That word relates to the idea of apologetics, giving a defense even. You defend what's going on in your life. Here, it is an answer in the sense of just a conversation. In fact, it can be used two different ways. Just as an indicator, you know, he answered so-and-so in the context of a conversation. So-and-so said this, he answered saying whatever. We see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus was is just talking with somebody and, and the, the, the conversation goes this way. Answering can also be in relation to a specific question. Jesus is asked a question of whatever it is. And he answered saying. So he's answering a specific inquiry or a question presented to him. So it can be used in those two different senses. Just a normal conversation and you insert Christ. You insert God's truth. You insert uh, the 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 worldview the the thinking the the righteous requirements that God presents always wisely always winsomely always in a loving way speaking the truth and love sometimes they have a specific question hey you know what what about this or this happened or, or I think the Bible says this you know what do you think about it so you answer in that regard the point is that we're talking with people we're interacting with people and that we are redeeming those situations, those conversations for God's purposes. Who knows? Uh, Like with Esther, who knows if you've been uh, brought to this position for such a time as this. This is the time, Esther, for you to act in God's economy to accomplish the things that he has given you to accomplish. We don't know all the times that he has provided to us to redeem. So we always ought to be on the lookout. Okay, I have an opportunity, especially for those who are outside, as it says here in, in and verse 5, but even within the church, are we in a position not just to, to kind of lean back and enjoy a, a pleasant conversation about any number of things, but how can we 
how can we see what's what's going on? What is what are the needs? What are the fears, anxieties? What are the the um, insecurities of this other person? What what are they what are they saying? Not just in their words, but how how do I interact? How to understand them? And how can I bring God's word to bear to encourage this person to build them up in the most holy faith? And certainly with outsiders, how can I bring the gospel to bear? They're in their sins. They don't even. They might not even know they're in their sins, but they're you know they don't love Christ. What are they enslaved to? What are they? What are they cozying up to? Sin, wickedness, disobedience. Preaching the gospel, speaking with with wisdom, with winsomeness. We've got to know how we, not just how we have opportunity to answer, but how we should, how it is necessary for us to answer. We've got to be careful in the way that we speak uh, with our words, knowing that. It's through the preaching of the gospel. That's the power of God and the salvation, Romans 1.16. We've got to preach the gospel. We've got to speak it. We've got to preach it to ourselves, of course, because sometimes we forget. We get too big in our britches and think, I, you know, I've done a lot of good things. Remember Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4? This is a great city I've built. I love this place. I'm such a wonderful guy. And David, or not David, the Psalm, Daniel said, be careful, give glory to God. And you can read all about what happened there. Uh, but finally, he did recognize God is the one who gives, and he is the king, and, he, and I am just his servant, and so forth. Recognizing we need the gospel. We are sinners, and yet there's a great Savior. We can find our salvation in him and help other people find Christ as that sufficient Savior. Be careful how you conduct your life, walk in wisdom, and let your words always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the message that you've given to us, this gospel message. It's offensive to many people because it says we're sinners and there's no hope. We can't ever please you in our own lives, but through Christ we can have peace. We can have forgiveness with you. We can be reconciled uh, to you and not be subject to the wrath that is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Please help us to walk circumspectly. Please help us to walk wisely, especially toward those outside of Christ. We pray that you would give great fruit. We know we can't convince or make anybody a Christian. All we can do is, is present the gospel. Some water, some plant, some water, but you are the one who gives the increase. Please, please save people. So many people walking desperate, desperately in this life, finding, searching for, for the significance and meaning and, and life apart from Christ and their disappointed all the time and they're depressed and they're they are uh, disjointed and, and undone we pray that we would speak forth the word of life this mystery of christ that has been revealed it's not a mystery any longer it's here christ is our savior our lord the one in whom we find life please help us to be faithful and obedient to your heavenly call we thank you and pray in christ's name amen <laughs>